Sweden has scored. They, wow. Germany is losing. If Germany loses this, they're out. They are out. They're, they are in the same situation as Korea, uh, who just lost to Mexico, which actually was not that saddened by. I thought they played decently. They and did. Son Heung-min scored that great goal. I think it's been the best goal of the tournament so far. One, one of the best, yeah. Yeah, I had such low expectations coming in. I even <laughs> had dreams like the week before where we were losing like 10 nothing to Sweden. Sweden oh my God, of all yeah. fucking teams. <laughs> This World Cup has actually been pretty good. Um, I mean, I was already happy that Italy was out. I've won quite a bit of money from my friends betting on <laughs> on teams, especially Croatia. Croatia has been my workhorse. Yeah, yes. you're just you're just making money off this World Cup, man. <laughs> That's good. I actually kind of like the fact that the U.S. isn't in this. To be honest, I. I, I oh yeah, U.S. Yeah. And the fans are the most fucking annoying people. Yeah. Of all time. I I mean I enjoy I I when the U.S. is in it I do root for the U.S. Like, I like the fact that U.S. was in the last one, and I think it's overall good for us to get excited about the World Cup and, and compete with other nations. And, and, and also, you know, in a, in a competition where we don't have advantages, right? Like, we're right, right. It's not a basketball tournament. I think or, it's actually yeah. useful for us to get used to that, right? It's actually refreshing to, 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 to not have the U.S. be, like, this powerhouse, right? But this time around, I think just not being in it, I think it's nice because the coverage just doesn't focus on the U.S. And we can the just, The coverage like, is so much better without us in it. Right? Isn't so it so much, much better. better? There's just... There's not this need to constantly shift to what this mediocre U.S. team is doing, right? Like, we can actually focus on what's happening. So, well, and, um, and the analysis focuses on the teams that require analysis and, and deserve it, not right. just talking endlessly about what we did. Yeah, what always pissed yeah. me off about some American fans was, you know, U.S. had a very long-standing rivalry with Ghana, like just kind of yeah. randomly. Yeah, always kept getting well because Ghana bumped yeah. us out a few times, so you know. Yeah, and I always got the sense that some fans were offended that the like the peers to the U.S. team were Ghana as opposed to like a top European team or even a South American team. It's like, no, yeah. Ghana's a very good team. You should be very uh, proud that you can stand toe to toe with them. Oh, but that's, that's very racist shit, though, because I gu- I guarantee you. I guarantee you, if Iceland became this weird rival, they wouldn't say the same thing. Even though Iceland's like a, there's less people in Iceland than Staten Island. Yeah, well, they're not a shithole country, right? Exactly, so. exactly. Yep. It's racist. <laughs> Escape from Plan A. Congressman Steve King of Iowa recently started a debate here in this country when he tweeted in support of Vilders. He wrote this: "Vilders understands that culture and demographics are our destiny. We can't restore our civilization with someone else's babies." Congressman King joins us tonight to explain. Congressman, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me on, Tucker. I appreciate it. Did you misspeak, and what did you mean? No, Tucker, I didn't didn't misspeak at all. I said exactly what I meant. And this is a message over over to Europe, over to the Netherlands, a message to Geert Builders, uh, who does understand this. But the birth rates in especially Western Europe, but also Eastern Europe and in the United States, all of Western civilization have gone down below the replacement rate replacement rate with the exception of Israel as the only western western civilization first world country that has a birth rate that's above the death rate and so we have to do something to increase our birth rate or the vacuum that's created will be filled by people that don't believe in our values here in western civilization and we're seeing it happen Hi, and welcome to Escape from Plan A, Plan A Magazine's podcast. I'll be your host, Oxford Kondo, and I'm joined today by Teen. Ah, oh, it's good to be here, Oxford. It's good. It's been a while since we actually run a pod together, so. And Mark. Hi. How are you guys? 
I wonder if we should come up with catchphrases because I mean some people have said that it's sometimes hard to tell our voices apart. Well, I so think we they should... I think they recognize Oxford's voice. I think it's uh I think it's Mark's voice and my voice that might be at the same timber. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, maybe. You think so? Maybe I'll just go lower. I I tend to just I use bigger words and more articulate sentences. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, oh, we're doing that. Okay, we're doing that. Yeah, yeah. Shots yeah. been fired. <laughs> Uh, maybe yeah. I'll try to do like a blue steel with my voice. Maybe I'll yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. So today's pod will be about, well, there's been a lot of stuff in the news uh, this week because of these um, like ICE agents and, and various federal agencies seizing children from their families because of immigration uh, violations and things like that. So at f- uh, first, uh, this pod will mainly be about what's actually fueling that, which is this fear of demographic change. Uh, but before we go into that, I think we should just lay out some of the the information that's been going on in case you haven't been paying as much attention there's just been so much shit going on it's hard to keep track but teen you want to just walk us through with what's been going on yeah i mean i don't have like a deep legal analysis of what's going on but roughly what i've learned or what i know which is pretty shallow knowledge but i mean essentially it boils down to the question of what do you do with people with uh quote illegal aliens not a term that i love but when you catch people who cross into the border cross the border into the u.s you know, they've, they've broken a law, right? So the question is, once you've caught them, what do you do? Uh, in the past, there was, uh, I think under Obama, there was, um, uh, there was a, a program called Catch and Release, an extremely dehumanizing term because that's kind of a fishing term. Fish? It's a fishing yeah, term, no. right? So Catch and Release uh, basically meant that, you know, the, the penalty, the criminal penalty for being caught crossing into the U.S. border was to be immediately deported back into, uh, back into uh, you know wherever you came from, right? And that was considered a kind of a humane way to do it. Uh, you know, it, it you weren't facing criminal penalties here within the United States. That changed, I think, under Trump, where the the you know they would be charged with a crime and they would actually be detained. Uh, in awaiting trial, you know, they would be charged with a crime here, and they could serve prison time or you know serve a sentence here in the U.S. So the problem is that when you arrest someone, uh, you're really you're arresting the parents, and the children cannot go to jail right with the parents. So the, immediately out of the you know out of the um the 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 the, the legal procedure of just arresting them. The parents are going to go to jail and then the court, I, I guess, will take, you know, there's going to be some uh, court or I think it's an uh, it's a DHS, Department of Homeland Security administered, uh, you know, way to get the kids, you know, t- somehow taken care of or whatever. They're it's supposed actually to be Department of Health and Human Services. Oh, is it? Okay. DHS. Yeah. So DHS okay. hands the children off to DHH. DHH. Got it. Got it. And, or right. HHS. Sorry. Health and Human Services. Health and Human Services. And they're supposed to put the children into foster care, etc. And I guess the current uh, controversy came out from uh, the realization that they basically weren't doing shit with the kids. They weren't tracking them at all. Mark, didn't like well, so, didn't some no. of them get found in like child trafficking situations and they were traced back to this program or... Uh, so, well, awful, there were a couple right? of things that were going on. So there was one story that came out that said that um, that HHS had sort of lost children. That wasn't true. What was happening is that they were doing actually what we would want them to do is that they found relatives 
and they release these children to the relatives that were already living in the in the United States. And after they do that, HHS actually has no obligation to track them. And in a sense, we don't want a government organization just tracking children for no reason. And then what happened was that HHS voluntarily reached out to the families that they had placed these children with, and they couldn't contact some of them. So that's what that story came out, and people were like, oh, they lost them. It was just that probably a lot of the people, that, uh, a lot of the families that took these children in are, are, might be undocumented as well. So mm-hmm. they, were, you know, they weren't answering the phone calls of HHS. So are they overhyping the problem then? Well, th- that's one particular issue. Mm-hmm. You, you bring up the point that because the Trump administration is actually prosecuting the parents of the children, and as you, know, as you rightly point out, you can't put children in prison with their families, the children are being separated and they're being shipped all over the country to these HHS holding facilities. And they're actually going to be adopted and fostered out. And that's actually a huge problem because the parents are going to be deported, most likely. And then these children are just going to be kept in the United States, given to mainly white families. Oh, so that's it's, another it's a, huge it's a per- humanitarian wait, so It's issue. a permanent separation? There's no... Yes, absolutely. There's no the, 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 the executive order that Trump ha- signed to stop the family separations stops... The separations going forward, but the separations have been happening for two months. So upwards of you know three thousand children have been separated, and there are no plans to reunite the families because they don't even know where these children are. That's they don't track them, and they haven't tagged them. The children to the parents. Okay, and I didn't lot, know some that these, that was the case. That's yeah, fucking insane. Yeah. So it's a permanent it's, separation. It's insanity. Like, you came in here with your kids. The parents have to go. You're deported. You're not allowed here. But the kids are going to stay, and we're going to put yeah. them into our adoption, into the circulation, yes. of the, the the flow of adoption within the United States. You've yes, 100%. effectively surrendered your kids permanently. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't think there's any clear direction on how to do that. Uh, I've read stories in which the, the people who work at these facilities and in, at these agencies that are supposed to do this, there's no protocol to follow because nobody has thought it through. No, absolutely not. But that's not even that's not even pro that's not even pro white nationalists or pro like if you're if the goal of the Trump administration is to limit the number of non-white people or whatever or Mexicans and uh, Central Americans etc. Uh, you would want to get rid of the kids, right? Aren't they? Uh... Well, well. If you listen to what they've said, they they think of this as a deterrent. They right, think of right. this as like a punitive measure, as like a warning to all future people mm. that this will what will right. so this, this will yeah. happen. This and this could be anyway, the twenty percent. Um, yeah. Mark, so, you have some resources on what what people can do, right? You, you yes, talk exactly. So there are a couple of things that you can do to you know to help a little bit. So you can reach out to your legislator. Um, the the number for the U.S. House of Representatives is 202-225-3121. And for senators, it's 202-224-3121. Um, what you could also do is um, in Portland, they actually uh, directly protested outside one of these ICE facilities. That's like one of the staging areas um, before they send the children to the other HHS facilities. And they got that place shut down. So, you know, you can do direct action there. There, You can go to moveon.org, um, and there's some other uh, organizations that are um, organizing these protests. So direct protest seems to be, you know, uh, working as well. Um, and then uh, we'll put a link into uh, the description of uh, just various immigration law 
and immigration um, advocacy groups. Yeah, anyway, I, I just wanted to lay out some of the information and some things you could do. Obviously, like, we're not experts in this. There are far better sources to go to to get your news and, and how to help and everything. But we thought it'd be good to at least lay some foundation. What we really want to talk about on this pod is what's fueling this surge yeah. uh, of activity. Because, I mean, I'm so fucking tired of hearing people talking about this stupid debate between legal and illegal immigration or citing crime stats. You'll always see right. these like naive people saying, but but the crime rates in Germany didn't actually go up because of immigration or, or the crime rates have been going down for the last 20 years. That's not the fucking point, you people. Like Chris A's, uh, the MSNBC guy, he had a, a tweet storm last night, I believe, where he finally, he, he laid it out pretty well. I mean, it's like, finally, right? It's been obvious for so long. But yeah, like, what is this really about? This is about demographic change. They are afraid that if you're a party whose entire ideology basically is some form of white revanchism in which you long for the white dominated years of, you know, like pre 1950s America, mm -hmm. just the simple act of having non white people, people who don't like feel it in their bones when you talk about, uh, talk longingly about like the Confederacy, people who don't have that innate connection to it, uh, just cannot fit into your ideology. So, how do you do that? You create these policies, as we talked about before. This is not really meant to accomplish anything other than to just create fear. Of revenge, everything to just set this policy of, of America as a white nation. I can I I want to disagree with you on one point there, and I because I actually think that you're almost understating the problem in that it's not just white nationalist or the, sort of like a fringe extreme far right position. I actually feel something that's been underreported is how far the assumption that America is essentially white, essentially. Anglo is an assumption that liberals have as well that they don't. No, of course, of course, that they don't recognize. You know, and I. I well, I, I just say that I just think that what you're saying is true, but I think it's truer than even that. You know, I, I think that I, I think that we're really confronted now with a base assumption that a lot of people have had, including non-white people, including Asians, that you know we're really in a white backdrop uh, that the country is essentially in terms of culture, in terms of makeup is essentially Ang European and, and, and in particular Anglo. Right. And that's not a particularly racist or, or sorry, that's not a particularly far right view. I think that that assumption extends much further than we're comfortable admitting. Yeah. When I say white nationalists, I don't actually mean like literally, literally white nationalist types, you know, people who are like part of like the citizens council mm -hmm, or something. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about this idea that America is a white nation. Mm -hmm. And I would probably say that a, a 30% of the country maybe believe that. I mean, depending on how I, rigidly they're I'd, so Trump. I'd go higher, to be honest. I would, yeah, I would go least way higher. I would go way right? higher. And But the thing is, I would actually include non-white people in that. You know, yeah, absolutely. I actually... You know, it's it's not it's not whether you're for or against. I mean, I don't think like it's just about whether you support policies that are going to preserve the white race. I think it's also just sort of like your your subconscious understanding of what America is, and I think that that goes very deep based on just how we learn history, like all of us, right? Not just the kids in the South or, or whatever. Like the founding, if the founding fathers are all white, then the country is basically white, right? You see this when you hear Asians talk about American as an ethnicity. I, I see this a lot, especially when they're discussing, you know, people with, of mixed heritage. Mm -hmm. They'll say stuff like, oh, this person is like half Chinese, half American. 
That's how deeply ingrained it is. Mm-hmm. I think the only mm-hmm. people who tried to deny that were white liberals. Mm-hmm. Even though if you look at just how white liberals act, they too have this ingrained notion that America is, you know, at, at its core, a white nation. Maybe they're going to let a few more minorities into the club. Uh, but I think almost everybody else had this understanding. Um, what uh, You know, some people were much more for it. Others were just kind of like resigned to just the reality of how everything just seemed to work. But yeah, it's not like some radical new idea. It's been around for a very long time. It's just been kind of kept under the surface, I think, because of, uh, you know, during the years when, when like, white liberalism was more dominant than it is now. I think that's the, that was the reality. It comes, it pops out. Um, I don't want to linger. I know there's other topics we want to talk about. I think it does pop out, though. Like when you have, you know, there's like cultural appropriation, like fights that break out online you know, over the cheap power or whatever, you'll see it pop out when like white people will say, because like, both liberals and conservatives will like dismiss cultural appropriation, which I can understand in a way, but you'll see it come out like, oh yeah, do you use a computer? Do you drive a car? Do you like use an elevator? Do you use like calculus? Do you like, they'll basically, it like that, that reply is basically saying like the world around you is white in origin. So, right. Basically, you living in a modern in the modern world. I mean, this even goes beyond America, right? They're like basically you living in a modern world is cultural appropriation of a white world. So yeah, that's what basically Steve King has said. Uh, he has yeah, yeah. been on TV and, and like Pat Buchanan too. They'll say like, uh, you know, white people have contributed the most to history, and everyone's in debt to them. Okay, so I just want to get into a mindset of of the people who think like this. This is what I think mm-hmm. they think. Yeah, they have this like kind of like middle school understanding of history in which white people did everything. Okay, so like the Mesopotamians gave us like numbers, maybe the Chinese gave us like fireworks, but everything else has been done by white people. And America is like the crowning achievement of of whiteness. And by their eternal grace and mercy, they've allowed other people to come in, including black people through slavery. You see a lot of like slavery apologists who think like this, and. I think uh, something like the election of Obama was just this huge, they could, they considered it like this huge wake-up call. They thought, wow, they don't even need us anymore. Like Obama won with like 40-ish percent, right, of the white vote. Mm-hmm. And that gave him a landslide. And that just completely freaked them the fuck out. Um, and then you see this now more with things like, uh, like all this stupid uh, anger over like Star Wars and things like that. What's that really about? That's about losing what they thought were their cultural touchstones to these other people who don't have the same sympathies as them, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if it's just losing. I mean, I think that part of I, I'm not always like jazzed by the critique of this. I think it's not just losing, but I feel like they're like there's a sense that there's a fakeness and a self uh, self congratulatory uh, uh, like a moral righteousness by Disney. Saying, oh, look how inclusive we are, you know, look how progressive we are by inserting, P- you know, POC and women into these, you know, h- hitherto white male dominated franchises. Yeah, and, it's you know, not and, just the inclusion it, of. Yeah, I don't know if it's just man. that there are that there are, you know, non-white and, and people and women in these movies, but that yeah. there does come with it a smugness. Which I can kind of see, like you know, it's it's hard to ever express some level of understanding here, but you know, I do see that a company like Disney can be a little full of itself, 
Yeah, but for that, like, smugness to translate into this rabid hatred for what I thought, you know, The Last Jedi, I thought it was a mediocre movie, but I didn't get all fired up for it. No. If I thought the company botched it, I yeah, wouldn't have yeah. Yeah. gone out yeah. there demanding, like, some crazy people there trying to raise, like, $200 million to remake it. Yeah, no, I, mean, I agree. Come on. <laughs> That's yeah. insane. Yeah. No, it, and it's not just the replacement, though. I think it's that they would be, they're okay as long as the white dude is still the hero and the star and shown to be better than everyone else. They get really upset when, like in The Last Jedi, and maybe even on TV and such, it's always the white dude who's the buffoon. Um, yeah, there, I, I want to quote like this uh, article from the Daily Beast. It said, The shift they fear is not happening in policy. It's happening in culture. Yeah, Taibi exactly. Said, uh, Matt Taibbi, the writer, If you talk to people at Trump rallies, you'll hear things like, Every time you turn on the TV, the bad guy is the white male. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it's and it's okay. And it's one thing if like it's basically just you know it's if it's like married with kids and it's like all white people and the white dude is the buffoon. That's okay because it's still just within that group. Like they're allowed. That's allowed. But if it's like a mixed group with women and men and the white dude is the buffoon, that that you know. They're not going to stand for that. Yeah, I remember in 2011, I think it was around 2011, Michelle Bachman came out and said something like, well, before 1965, immigration worked so beautifully or something like that. And, you know, what was what happened in 1965? It was the Immigration and Nationality Act, which got rid of the nationality quotas that were like put in place in like the 1920s, which had said, OK, like whatever the um, like nationality and ethnicity proportions there were in like, I don't know, some year between, I think, like 1900 and 1920. That's the way America has to be. Obviously, that meant it's going to stay as a white country by law. But 1965, they got rid of that. And so what she meant by that was, um, you know, we got to go back to being a white country. And this was like back in like 2011. This was like before we even thought that a Trump was even possible. So this has been going on for for a long time. I've said, you know, Pat Buchanan, if you listen to like his speeches from like the 90s, what he believes in, it's all a continuation of that kind of stuff. So and you look at today with like Steve King, there was some guy in Arizona who said something like something about white babies again. It's, it's like this obsession with, with the, the white birth rate that they're they're crazy about. And did you guys read the, the Flight 93 election uh, article that came out? I think it was summer of 2016. I heard about it. I didn't I haven't read it. Anyway, uh, it was written anonymously, uh, but the gist of it is that the guy was calling on for all like Republicans and conservatives to vote for Trump because this was the last stand of like the white race in America that if they lost this, like the immigration laws and all that would would, you know, keep favoring the increasing like majority minority status of America. So no matter what problems you have with Trump. Uh, about his intelligence or, or policies or something, you had to vote for him because if you didn't do it this time, um, well, it was like the analogy, I guess, was the, um, what is it? The, the World Trade Center is America or like white America. You got to save it. You're in this plane uh, and your only hope is to, uh, you know, go kill the terrorists and, and maybe you're going to kill yourself in the process. Maybe that they thought Trump was let's uh, roll. some kind of suicide. Yeah, yeah but the, you know, roll. So let's roll. We have to stop this doomsday of demographic change right. so this is what it's all about if you if you it makes it makes sense i mean this is to me this isn't like something that is spontaneous like, like it didn't this didn't come out of nowhere suddenly right it's not like oh no definitely it's not. not like we had this like non we had some conception of america and then suddenly for some reason we started freaking out because it got too broad i mean just as asians we we you know i think anyone that's like 
you know, been moderately interested in Asian American history will obviously know about the Chinese Exclusion Act and how there was already back then in the 19th century this desire to, you know, keep out undesirable races, right? And they were starting to have this conception of like what races are acceptably, you know, uh, acceptably whatever. I don't know if the term white was actually used at that point, but... You go to what's interesting is a lot of people point to 1965 and the you know the immigration uh, reform act uh, in in 65 that that was meant to change that right that put an end to a lot of the no it wasn't it was an accident it was an accident exactly so what 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 they did was they put the family visa in there it made it easier for people to bring family over and they thought if we have an immigration system that was based on bringing family over, then the racially mm. dominant group would be the one that kept growing because all the white people would bring their European uh, relatives over. Totally not what happened, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that Michelle Bachman's position is kind of like, you know, ever since 1965, basically someone accidentally left the door open and there's been like this non-white racial draft blowing in. And we're just slowly letting... All the strays and mongrels are coming in. Strays and mongrels are coming in. And no one's, you know, no one's either willing or courageous enough to say, we got to shut that door again. And now that's what we're doing. We're openly saying we got to shut the door and we're actively shutting it. We're to the point where, you know, like we first started talking about, people are courageous enough now to be like, like Kirsten Nielsen or whoever saying, yeah, no, I have no problem separating these fucking families. You come in here, fuck you. Yeah, but the 1965 Act, uh, I believe that some of the more conservative people tried to win over other conservative people by reassuring them that it would not change the demographics. Because I see that these like all these things will actually just uh, open up the borders to, to more white people, but not the, the, the blacks and the yellows and the browns. Right, right. Well, and, and but I think what we're doing now is actually um, we're, 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 we're trying to prevent um, the immigration in two ways, right? We've shut the door, like you, you mentioned, Teen. Um, and we're also trying to be as cruel as possible to deter people from even trying to get through the door. So, you know, th- there's a lot of talk about the asylum seekers and everything. But, you know, we've, we've actually shut down the, the border gates or the, the stations that you're supposed to go to if you want to get into the country um, legally. So a lot of people are just trying to flee and going across the border in between those stations. Uh, and that's why they're getting caught. So we're just not even manning the gates or we're shutting those gates down. And then once we capture the people trying to go across, we're saying, well, we're going to separate you from your family and you know, we're going to treat you really poorly so that maybe when the news gets out, other people just won't come in. And Jeff Sessions has said that, who's the top law enforcement agent uh, in the country. He's the attorney general, um, you know, Stephen Miller has said it. Uh, you know, it, this is the the policy. I think John Kelly said it when he was DHS secretary before he became. Uh, yeah, th- there's a whole revenge fantasy element as well. This like emotional catharsis. I, I actually want to talk about it a, a little bit later. There's one thing I want to say. Um, remember after the 2012 loss, like Romney's loss, there was some like uh, post mortem of the Republican Party and and the whole. Um, yeah, I think the conclusion was they had to become more diverse. You guys remember? Yeah, that, right? I think yes, that was the yes, Michael yes. Steele, re- the the sort of uh, the they call it the Republican autopsy, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, even back then, I realized you can't have that because 
the, yeah, this is yeah. not. I mean, there's like some delusion. I think some people think they're they, they they honestly believe that people are reasonable and shit like that. <laughs> they honestly thought that if you could just you know sell like free market principles or you know fa- family values, whatever the fuck that means to like these you know Latinos and uh, other uh, immigrants coming in, that that that's what the Republican Party was really about. But I, no, it's not what it's about. Your very identity makes you incompatible with their ideology because when you talk when you try to apologize for slavery or something like that like if you're not of that tribe you're not going to feel it and that's what their party is really all about everything else about like market policies and taxes that's all window dressing maybe it's like the policies favored by like the few like the 0.1% donor class but the, like the average person in, in that party who really loves Trump and like they don't give a shit about that yeah because i mean Trump is still quite popular Right, like yeah, he's like like forty-ish percent. I remember like Obama would frequently dip to like forty, yeah, forty-ish percent. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and the thing, the, what's interesting thing, I, people don't talk. We talk a lot about Obama. We talk a lot about Trump, but people don't talk a lot about Bush. He's kind of like been forgotten. But you know, Bush had this compassionate conservatism thing. I was going to mention that. Yeah, he 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 wasn't a particularly like you know he he was not particularly an anti-immigrant kind of guy he was not that kind the bushes have never been that kind of conservative and he had an extremely low approval rating right and everyone pinned it on the war and i'm starting to wonder is it because he had like he was too friendly with brown people right <laughs> right he 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 liked to brag about how he spoke spanish and he had mexican people in his family right um jeb bush has a mexican wife and you know they're proud of that fact and i wonder if that if he was seen as kind of a, a racial sellout it, I, it definitely didn't help him i don't think no i don't think that helped him. definitely not because yeah. you know yeah that they have such low approval ratings that he had it had to be low approval ratings within the republican party because he's obviously not going to have it with the democrats i i think for me you know i, I obviously i i really disapproved of bush because of the wars and stuff but oh yeah you know, it made me, I think it. what Bush kind of did to me was like, it made me kind of, like, I had a bad understanding of what we're, we're talking about in terms of this sort of cult, like this racial conservatism. Because I looked at Bush and I was like, you know, if he's, he's representing the right, you know, they don't seem that racist, right? They, they, they seem like they have bad policies and stuff, but he doesn't seem like he's out there trying to, you know, stoke the flames of racial hatred. So I thought that Bush, to the extent that he, you know, def- de- defined the sort of right, I was like, okay, this country's not that racist. And then after Obama, I felt like, after, you know, what, what was essentially an insurgency within the Republican Party, I feel like the true colors of the people came out. Right. And yep. that's now we're talking about this white revanchism again. And it's like, probably was there all along. Uh, one thing I also, uh, something I've always felt for a while, and I think now has been totally confirmed, is all this, is, uh, what really also related to this is this, like, uh, homophobia, uh, like, a- anti-LGBTQ stuff, and a lot of the anti-reproductive right stuff mm-hmm. is also mm-hmm. tied to this fear of demographic change. If you uh, listen to some of, um, like, Viktor Orban speeches in Hungary, he will tie, like, anti-LGBTQ and uh, anti-reproductive stuff to this uh, idea of that they need to have more Hungarian babies. And you mean like, like the that. pro-life? It's, it's really not like that... Being pro-life. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and a pro-life for certain groups. And it's really yeah. not that big a leap because if you think, mm-hmm. okay, like gay Makes culture... Yeah. yeah, gay culture is somehow like destroying masculinity and if you define masculinity as like fertility and, and raising like a like a family and being, right. being a patriarch in your family, it erodes that. Mm-hmm. If you think of um, anti-reproductive 
uh, things, uh, preventing birth, uh, you know, letting women, um, you know, prefer single life and, right, right, and right. you know, having more social options, things like that. Restricting it, access it just, to birth control. You know, for, right, right. Yeah. For the longest time, it, it just, I get so annoyed when people say things like, um, oh, how can you be, you know, against abortion and against uh, condoms? How, that makes no sense. It makes perfect sense <laughs> in this context. Yeah. You when you're talking about, more when you're babies. talking about a fear of your, your race disappearing and, and losing its dominance and virility, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not about abortion, like the, the actual medical okay, act. Okay, that, that's like, really interesting, though, because you say it makes perfect sense, and I think it makes perfect sense, but does that mean, like, take a, take a country that, that doesn't have the questionable history of the, of the, of the U.S., the modern, you know, like the, the slavery and the genocide, the settler colonialism and all that. Um, take a country like Korea. Don't you, I mean, in some way, this, you know, if you look at... I, I guess on this podcast, I like for us to try and like tackle positions that aren't often said in either side of the media. So, if you look at the arguments that a you know that a Steve King or some other sort of like white nationalist, I guess he's a white nationalist, uh, bring up, and to say that there is an even a Steve Bannon, right? Like there's an ethnic character to a country. A nation is more than mm-hmm. just an economy. It's a people. It's a history. It's a bond. It's often an ethnic bond. Mm-hmm. You know, that sounds horrendous in within the context of the United States. And I think that's I think that's particular to our history. But if you go to a country and almost any other country, um, if you look at uh, a lot of Asian countries or European countries or African countries, you know, the sense mm-hmm. of ethno nationalism there doesn't have the same tinge that it does here right there's nobody questions that korea is for koreans and so i'm wondering like how do we square that like is there is it really wrong for white people to have these feelings i'm not saying they're the 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 carrying out of this in policy is ridiculous because there's no way to get there it's an impossibility so the only thing that you can do is just basically genocide right but the feeling is the same is it not or the, is there the way I would different? answer that is I actually don't have that much of an issue when uh, European countries with a very long like ethnic history come come up with that. I can you know I can sympathize when you know certain like French people or or you know Hungarian people they they feel um, like a desire to preserve what they have. I understand that to an extent. Like I don't want them to uh, you know execute people or create concentration camps, but that desire I understand it. Uh, but I think America, I mean, we can talk about this more later because we want to talk about, like, how do you morally justify, like, open borders and immigration, which mm-hmm. I think is yeah. a very good question that nobody really... Which is tied to this. Which is tied to this question. Yeah, uh, people on the left, I think, just gloss over it. They don't actually think about it that mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. But I would say that America has a special, is a very special case given its very, like, young history and um, a, a list of actions in its, like, uh, history that that would be quite atrocious um were it not for i think the balancing saving grace that america is a more open country than others that's how i would see it i think i want to talk about it more later when we get to that question but that's how i i would deal with it i don't think that um i think we are a little different because it's more on on um, racial lines but i think it's a mistake to think that countries like france or like bosnia or or, you know that other European or Asian nations don't have these internal ethnic conflicts where, you know, if you're French, that, that means that you're not Romani, right? So if you're Romani and you've been, 
you know, in France for, you know, five or six generations, they're still going to want to exterminate you. Um, it's just not as, it's not seen in the same light as America with, you know, black, white and, and, and other things like that. So like, I get what you're saying that like having that, um, instinct to preserve an identity is natural. Um, it's just comes up on the fact of how do you get there? And it's always by just killing everybody. Well, so that's it, where like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I would, I, I, I totally agree that in terms of policy or whatever, it's, it's just abominable and it's a, it's a dead end or, or it's a, it's a road to complete disaster. But I guess my question is if you want to solve this problem, is there some emotional need or social, social emotional need for a sense of like that, whatever it is, I think your your brother once called it Heimat, right? Um, right. The, right. The German term Heimat. Um, like, how do how, how do you provide? Do, do we is that something that you need to provide? Is it do do white people in this country who bemoan the loss of uh, um, or, or 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 bemoan the the coloring of the nation? Are, are is there a genuine emotional need that? that they have or something that I, I, I would say, yes, and we can get more into it. in when we talk about the morality of open borders or, or, uh, or not. Uh, but I think the crux of it is how open or closed that identity is. And if it's formed on, um, sort of ethnic, racial, genetic sort of lines, or it's based on more, um, principle principles and other things that are not, tied to any of those things yeah to, and i'm not to, asking to this out whatever, of any right? particular sympathy or, or care for these people i'm asking because it's dangerous that's why yes I'm asking, absolutely you know yeah. I, I think when you essentialize the traits of like you know I, I don't know like freedom and 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 whatever if you if you essentialize those abstract traits to a particular ethnicity or race or people's that's when you get into a problem of, well, obviously, if you're not any of those things, those ethnic or, or uh, racial things, and you can't have the other things that that um, that define a, a culture. Um, so trying to separate those two is sort of the key there. But, you know, it's tricky. Another thing I've thought about is I wonder if there's a certain uh, resentment among uh, especially like white conservative Americans that, th that the value of American citizenship has become too diluted. Like there's been this inflation <laughs> that, you know, back in the day, you would you would like flash your American passport and you, you would be like treated like, like, like a like a, you know, like a, like a royalty or whatever. Yeah, sure. But now if, if pretty much any because uh, uh, really. Steve King and other, other people have have uh, come out against this uh, idea of, of uh, if you're born on American soil, you are an American citizen. They have come out against it. And so it's like even if, you you know, they get their wish and kick out all these uh, you know, people they don't want. Mm. Even then, they want they want another barrier to achieving citizenship. I think you're onto yeah. something there. Yeah, because yeah, if you oh, for sure. if you uh, shrink that the uh, availability down, you create scarcity. And I mean, you, you uh, if you look at like sexpat behavior in America, uh, not America, Asia. I mean, what what allows them to do that? It's it's the value of the American passport, right? It's the not only the image, but also the the idea that if you you know if you are like if you marry an American, they can take you away to to like a, a better life, grant you citizenship. Yeah, actually, I think I think though the reality is it's more based on the power of the American currency. I Absolutely. Think, yeah, because because a lot of the a lot of that that activity in Thailand, it's it's really and in Southeast Asia, it's really driven by money. 
right? It's not okay, driven but okay, by... but like let, let's leave out South Southeast Asia because this happens in developed East Asian countries too. That even when like the the money is, I mean, yeah, sure, like um, American money is is probably more valuable than a lot of even the m- more advanced East uh-huh, Asian uh-huh. countries. But that that intangible, like that that has to do with race and citizenship, um, it becomes a lot more valuable when you restrict access to it. And I think that's what they bemoan that, oh, like some some like like indigenous Mexican looking person can be just as American as me and have the same like cultural and state conferred benefits. And I think that I think that's I think that's a, a result maybe of a lag where American mystique, uh, it takes it, it lasts a little longer than the reality, but the reality will mm-hmm. actually eventually drag it down. And I think mm-hmm. if you talk to people who travel a lot um to like white white americans that travel to asia like for the first time and their minds get blown right because they go and they're they're you know even a even a city like uh bangkok um is far more modern than most americans would expect uh if you go to a, a city like seoul or tokyo or shanghai or beijing like a lot of Americans go there, and apparently the feeling is the same that when Europeans first came to New York back in, like, the early 20th century. Their minds were blown. Like, holy shit, what is going on here in the United States, in the New World? And, you know, there is, this, I think, this sense now, but it takes lag because most people don't have a chance to go see it with their own eyes. And it doesn't, it doesn't really translate through media in quite the same way as being actually physically there. Mm-hmm. That, you know, what we considered... American, uh, inviolable American realities. We were always the most advanced. We were, you know, we were always the wealthiest. I think, you know, far and away, just like the most dominant power in the world. That's been the case for the, for, you know, since end of world war two up until, you know, probably 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And then, then it starts eroding. And we, I think we understood that. And, and that was sold to us as like, you know, it's not that we're getting poorer, it's that the pie's getting bigger, okay? And so I feel like there was a sense of, okay, that's progress or whatever. But now, you know, if you go in and look at what's happening in Asia in particular, it really mm-hmm. starts to destroy the ability for us to maintain this illusion that America's still number one. And you know who I think that really hits hard? Mm young white men because i think if you're a bit older you at least got to see america in its heyday true and you might mm-hmm. long for that and you but you, you have that like well of memories you can like you can uh mm-hmm. reach out to when you're like relaxing in the, in the sun or whatever but because um you know you look at like stephen miller stephen miller's not some old crank he's no, like he our age he's in his 30s 30. yeah 31. Um, someone like that that psycho boy scout tom cotton also a fairly young guy mm-hmm. and i remember reading this article in in new york magazine it was about uh, the, uh, remember the, the pickup artist guys from the Waking Life Coffee in Asheville, North Carolina? Yeah. Mm. They got exposed because they ran some like, some like dating blog, which they just like talked about all the women they slept with and, and they just talked horrible shit about them. And this like one quote in it that he said, I think it was a tweet, just stuck out so much for me. He said, uh, I'd be less concerned about immigration if Mexican women didn't look like sunburnt cane toads, right. more Spanish, less indigenous. I remember that. Yeah. And the, yeah, and there was a Guardian article uh, interviewed Richard Spencer, and they were asking like, what, what does the alt right want? And he said like, yeah, all that thing about like foreign policy and, and things like that—it's all a distraction. The only thing we care about is immigration. So I think mm-hmm. um, if you're if you're like a young guy, especially like a young white man, you are very bothered by this like decline in, in like American power and prestige. Let, let me um, let to... me let me quote Corey Lewandowski. Womp womp. <laughs> Fuck you. 
I don't give one flying fuck. Yeah, so like these guys aren't like when we think of like immigration, uh, you know, takes jobs away from you know hardworking like blue collar white people kind of types. Like these aren't these aren't those guys. These are relatively well educated, comfy suburban guys in like their twenties and thirties who are still just going ape shit over immigration. What is that about, right? It's, 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 Stephen Miller is even more interesting too because he actually he's from Santa Monica. He's from an, uh, yeah. he's from a so, pretty diverse area. It's extremely so actually, diverse, that, that makes yeah. perfect sense because what he probably saw was, you know, how California is is pretty much like run by minorities now. It, it's mm-hmm. um, and like Republicans can't even like win like, uh, you know, like garbage man seat or something. Oh, like and that. to the extent but, it's run was, by a white guy, it's going to be like a Gavin Newsom who's like in their eyes. Yeah, a total and you cuck need sellout. you need to be <laughs> vetted and approved by you know what Stephen Miller would call you know like those people. Right. Well, right. And Stephen I think that Miller really pissed him yeah. off. It's so it's not just the loss of a see here's the thing I don't think it's necessarily about the loss of American prestige and power though it is it's also the loss of white male prestige and power within the United States itself yeah, I think yeah that's in the their mind really they're, they're, it's the same thing yeah. I think in their mind is it's the same thing mm-hmm. America is well, yeah is for white men and and white men are America well yeah and they're not able to project that white power because they don't have it inside. They don't have it in the country, so they can't project it and, 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 and they're interpreting that as a foreign invasion, right? It's like the reason right. white right. men are losing power, which is ridiculous. The white men are not losing power. That's that They're losing... <laughs> it's so, they're, no, they not may at be, all. They may not be a growing demographic, but they are not losing power. That's an insane not, I mean, uh, belief. Well, they, yeah. they have only 99 of the 100 slots, so they yeah. lost power <laughs> right, team. Right, right, right. No, no, see, but, it's, like, it's like GDP. If you ain't growing, you're shrinking. Right. Yeah, no, right. that's true. Right, yeah. which is, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the that's the perception, and I think yes. that that th- th- there's a strong perception that um, if you take anything away from them, including minor roles that you know in Star Wars, right, that that it's it's a sign of it's like um, they got to go all Paul Revere because you know the, right. the you know the that's engines right. are coming, the engines are coming, or the British. Well, it goes back to that Flight ninety three election thing. Right, yeah, right, know, and their 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 minds have project. It's kind of like that Peter Sweden uh, thing where that video. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he's like, he goes out to this like town in in Norway, and and he's like, oh, I'm in the no go zone, and it, there's a mosque there, and there's like yeah. some people like kind of going in and out of the mosque, and then. There's people like buying vegetables. It's like a completely serene and beautiful street scene, and he's and, and acting he is like just, a complete insane person. He's like, oh, he's I scared out of his safety. mind. Norwegian ethnic yeah. Norwegians are clearly in the minority here. It's like this weird fucking um, paranoia and feeling of like invasion when you look, and it's a completely serene, peaceful street scene. I, I, when I saw that, I was like. This reaction in rea- it is a kind of mental illness. When I saw Peter Sweden, I was like, "This is a weird, like paranoid, paranoid, like schizoid reaction or something." It was fucking insane. Yeah, if you listen to a lot of those guys complain about uh, immigration into Europe, and some of these are like American guys who maybe never even stepped foot in Europe, they'll always complain about how all the so many of the uh, the people coming over are men. And, you know, yeah, like young men generally do tend to commit more crimes as a demographic. So I would understand if, if the crime rates were actually going up, but they're not. What nope. they're really pissed off about is like, we're, we're bringing in this demographic and we're not getting anything in return. And, you know, that, that's why they like, like you see a lot of these guys when they talk about Asian immigration, like, oh, yeah, like bring on like, like the Vietnamese babes or something like that. Like, or the Iranians, right? There was something, some joke about that. You know, oh, yeah, I saw this you. on the fucking Twitter. So, you know how yeah. like the, uh, 
like Iran apparently doesn't let uh, Iranian women, women into the watch stadiums, the the games. Yeah. So I think it's some British guy. He like put up some uh, you know pictures of beautiful Iranian women. They're like, oh yeah, like we we like British men will welcome your Iranian women. We'd let you stadiums. into our stadiums. Yeah, like shut the fuck up. This is like. <laughs> And they think they're being progressive for saying stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's like, uh, I don't know if they genuinely think that they think they're being clever, but it's this. Oh, they think they're being funny, this, man. They're being funny. It's all about like this male status positioning. Uh, what are our like sexual opportunities? Uh, you know, you look at that that uh, pickup artist quote about about uh, uh, right. Mexican women. It's like, well, do we do we like your women if you're if you're like I guess they don't have fetish for Middle Eastern or African women, so they don't want them. But they you know they might like Asian women, and so they they like. Asian immigrants, so long as we, you know, stay quiet and and don't disturb them and just like be their little eunuchs. This is I agree, and I think this is this is why I've lately been thinking that Asian women have actually fallen out of favor, uh, because the the number of the amount of like racist shit that Asian women are reporting, uh, and just being attacked for being Asian and being you know, like it would not be that way if they had that other attitude. You know what I mean? Um, so I think like the I feel like Asians in America ha- are at an inflection point. I feel like we're starting to be seen as these rapacious capitalists, which is ironic. Uh, but we're, <laughs> Incredibly we're, we ironic. steal, we cheat. We're basically like all the terrible Jewish stereotypes at this point, you know? Yeah, we're also the other end of the, the, the stereotype of the, the no-skilled, crime-committing immigrant who just like deflates like the gdp of the country or something we're almost at the other extreme of that we're like too successful mm-hmm, i mean right. you look at you know steve bannon's infamous quote about asian ceos um you look at what hap- what's happening in in vancouver a place like that where a lot of the chinese immigrants are you know uh, i mean there's like i think it, there's a perception at least that they're buying up too much property too much of the valuable property mm-hmm. and 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 these are not your you know, grateful, humble, you know, thank you for letting us into the country Asians. These are kind of like the cocky mm-hmm. uh, Lambo driving Asians mm-hmm. and, and they don't like that. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there's this great, uh, there's this great article, uh, I think it's on Vox and, and this guy, he writes about what happened in Lithuania, uh, like during the 1940s mm. uh, with respect to anti-Semitism. And he, um, he compares these two countries. One of them is uh, uh, the capital city. Uh, I forgot the name of the Lithuanian capital city. Anyway, and, and another city. And it was actually in the city. Yeah, so the, so the, so the town with no Jews uh, wasn't as anti-Semitic as the town that had previously had integrated Jews relatively well. And mm. the Jews were uh, a respected member, relatively speaking, okay. I think, okay. in their society. And the reason was resentment. And as you soon ah. as, like, like the anti-Semitism crept in and said, oh, you know what, those Jews are taking your, your money. Maybe they're taking your, you know, mm-hmm. whatever else. That's when like, people just totally turned on them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that movie Crazy Rich Asians is going to help either. But that's neither here nor there. I think I think that is something that Asian Americans have to start think, be thinking about, though. That the that 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 anti semitism is the is a for is will, that the anti Asian racism out there is going to take on the form of something like anti semitism. Yeah, which yeah. is something that a lot of our blue check bloggers ignore. They always want to talk about the black white paradigm or whatever and. That's the only thing that matters. Well, they're completely forgetting about anti-Semitism, right? Mm-hmm. How's that exist within the black-white paradigm? Mark St. Clutterman, yeah. right? I think people got to think <laughs> along those lines as well. Um, but our our activists are completely fucking useless when it comes to that. So Anyway, uh, I think we should go back to Teen's very important questions. Like, how do you justify open borders and immigration? 
And as I said, I think it's a question that a lot of people on the left don't properly examine. Um, because I think it's, it's a legit question that you have to think about to come up with an answer. The people on the left have supported immigration from, in my mind, for only one of two reasons, or only two reasons, really. And they're not really moral mm-hmm. reasons or anything. Number one is labor, the growth of labor and the, you know, the, 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 the suppression of labor wages, right? It's a very anti-labor thing. to, to Immigration is a very anti-labor thing and it's a pro-capitalist thing widens your labor base, right? Uh, you wouldn't be able to get a lot of the construction done that we see during this expansion period without a lot of migrant labor. We wouldn't be able to get our crops planted and picked and processed and our meats processed without a lot of migrant labor. And so the the borders are, you know, I think a lot of the pro-immigration forces out there on the Democratic side, they're actually pro-capitalist, pro-business uh, interests, Right. Masquerading as humanitarian. Mm-hmm. So the polit- they, 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 they wrapped a, uh, an extremely uh, uh, an extremely exploitative policy of migrant labor that's that is not given any sort of uh, protection while they're here. Uh, labor protection, uh, you know, anything like that um, for the for the for the for the benefit of business. But they wrap right. it in a humanitarian, I love brown people rhetoric. So that's one. Number two is uh, as foreign policy and namely the um, the ability to brain drain and the ability to use, a, use the promise of coming to America as a way to uh, to influence a foreign country, particularly a hostile country. Where we want to, you know, for example, bring over their best and brightest, so they that country loses their best and brightest, and then show those people to that country, shine that shine those examples, the you know uh, the Cubans, Chinese, etc., who we've done this to, show them back to that country to say, hey, if you support us, you can be like this. Otherwise, you'll be stuck in the you know the third world country that you are. So there's basically the two reasons that I can think of, and no, no, not, neither of them are particularly moral. Yeah, it's like the second one's like a citizenship as a world scholarship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that's the reality. Uh, there, There is no, as far as I can tell, like moral or just there's nothing in our society that is inherently pro-immigration. I don't think there's anything that says like, you know, a foreigner is somehow makes our society better in our, you know, like we have these sort of like tropes, like, you know, America is a nation of immigrants. But if you really boil it down, what does that really mean at the end of the day? It's, it's kind of just like, I don't, I don't know if that really goes that deep as an argument for immigration. I mean, I get the sentiment, but ultimately to me, it boils down. I think immigration is largely, um, an economic and foreign policy tool. And it's not much more than that. Yeah, I mean, the the way I look at it, uh, um, I mean, I I alluded to it, I talked about it a bit before, is you look at the history of America, as I said, it's young history. It it doesn't have an established, like, ethnic uh, history. Uh, All, all, like, the the, the shit it has done to get to where it is now and all all the blood that's been spilled... Uh, and taken from from other people and all that and and not even just history i mean just the stuff that's done in the last few decades in like asia and africa and, and south america all that um 
as I said, is only cleansed in somewhat, at least somewhat cleansed, if it does uphold its own purported ideals to be a land of opportunity. And if it doesn't, then it's just a might is right empire, just like any other, uh, you know, empire in history. And it has no uh, moral justification to expect any sympathy when it's in trouble. I think, uh, and I think that's that's the way uh, that's the way I would look at it. And as I said, I am sympathetic to. Uh, countries with long histories who do want to preserve that, um, you know, in like Asia or Africa or Europe or South America. Well, South America might be different. Some of them have colonial histories too. But I, th- I think America is a special case. And I and I do think that in, in the future, if China also becomes uh, uh, like a, a true global power, I think it, then it too would have certain obligations. Um, I think right now it's, it's probably not, not the same. Like some people try to use that false equivalence. Like how come China's not taking in like so-and-so? But I mean, I think once, once it gets to that like America level power, then yeah, I, that's what I would expect from them as well. It'll have obligations in the areas that it deals in, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it'll have obligations like to Africa at some point. It'll have obligations to Central Asia. I don't think it yeah, has sure. obligations to like, you know, South America per se or, or, or Central America or Mexico. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's part of us, right? Is America. I think we do have, spe- you have special obligations with particular sets of people. And, you know, I think yeah. when, when you're the only country in history to have used a nuclear weapon. Yeah, like, that's true. Your moral debt is quite big. Well, well, and also when you're the country that controls the IMF and you're going around right. basically Destroying forcing, people's economies. And, shaping other people's yeah. economies and shaping the yeah. rules. Uh, you're kind of in it. You're, you're extending the borders kind of well beyond your own. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You, know, you can't and, have it both ways. Yeah, so we've, we've claimed jurisdiction over the entire globe. Uh, but, and yet on the other hand, it's like you, these people have no rights, no obligation, no, no jurisdiction to come here. Like that can't hold. It's, it's like we, we think our borders are like this, you know, this one-way mirror. Or is it a two-way mirror? I forget. But basically, like, we can see out, but you can't see in. That can't mm-hmm. hold, right? I think that's kind of why we're in the position we're in right now. We want to ha- we have capital move freely through borders. We want our people to move freely through borders. We don't want your people to move freely through borders, right? That's, that's just the problem. There's asymmetry in what we expect our borders to, to allow through and what right. it's going to prevent. Well, and I think you make a good point is that if we were just totally isolationist and we didn't reach out right. to try to influence the world that yeah. sort of idea would have more um legitimacy right it's like mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. we're not affecting you and we're not moving around freely so mm-hmm. you know we're just not we're not going to let anyone else in either yeah. um but you make a good point is that w- since we're touching the world then you know we have no right to say well uh, d- don't come touch us too Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you, you, you will go over there, overthrow governments, mm-hmm. manipulate their economies, uh, create fund illegitimate governments, <laughs> and all, all that. Start wars. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get into my whole spiel of, you know, I, I'm basically in favor of open borders and, you know, the whole concept of nations and national citizenships and mm-hmm. all these things. I, I'm sort of more and more in line with maybe we shouldn't have any of those things because they just seem mm-hmm. to fester into these these conflicts. And, you know, I, there's a lot of thinking I need to do, but I think in terms of the moral... Well, it's a good ideal. I, I, yeah. I don't disagree with that as an ideal at all. Right, right. right. I, I just yeah. don't know practically how any of that could happen because it's mm-hmm. a very complicated topic, but we won't get into that. But mm-hmm. to talk about the I moral... I don't disagree with you as an ideal at all, though. Right, I mean, right. I feel, you know, yeah. but, but in terms of, like, the moral case for an open borders um i think there are sort of 
lines of thought. The most, um, I think, understandable one, or at least one that, that I can sort of articulate, is more on the libertarian side of things where they believe that there's like a right to migration and that goes in, in, in hand in hand with their notion that, you know, individual freedoms should extend until they infringe on someone else's rights. And one of those individual freedoms is to travel and just go wherever you would like, right? As long as you're, as long as you're not hurting someone else. So that, that's one moral libertarian a, a freedom of movement, a freedom of movement, a right to migration, yeah. just a, yeah. that yeah. sort of thing. So mm -hmm. because the other arguments I see are more on the utilitarian side that you talked about, Teen, where I think that's been the tradition of argument in uh, from liberals is been that it's, you know, good for the they, they, they try to wrap up this um, utilitarian. It's good for the economy argument. Oh, this, uh, yeah, right. right in in, yep. in the mm -hmm. um, idea that we're, you know, we love you know, other minorities or whatever, but it's really just a utilitarian concept of it's actually just better for the economy to have open borders so that people can move where they're needed and then um, go back somewhere else or move constantly move where and it's more, it makes the global economy and system more efficient. So like, you know, they don't want to just say that because no, no other rights sort of go along with that because they want to be able to exploit people. So like they you know, they want the open borders because it's more utilitarian for the capitalist class and for capital, you know. Uh, Germany leveled with Sweden, so crisis averted. But I think we we have a little time left. Maybe we can just go through uh, rapid fire some topics. Um, like that racist Einstein letter that came out last week that briefly made headline. Like, why is everyone fucking surprised? Like, this is an old white European man from. He's like, like the child of like the 19th slash early 20th century. Like, did you honestly think he was going to be like some like some woke hero of the Twitter age? Was, like, how, come on. Was Einstein <laughs> Jewish? Uh, I, I think so, right? Isn't that why he fled? Right. I think Europe? that's probably partly why people are surprised is that he was fleeing Nazis I, or whatever. I thought it was well known for a while that he like had a really negative dis view of Native Americans as like lazy and whatever. He also beat his wives, didn't he? Yeah, and he just cheated all over the place. Like the, he was not oh, well, a good moral Well, he created the nuclear person. weapon, so I think on balance, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, that too. But 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 I, too, I had that so poster I, of him sticking his tongue out. That meant he was a good guy, yes. right? I was I was going to go to that. Is that that one poster and that image? And I think his his estate probably tried really hard to massage his his image. It's like all these people, and they did they, really well. They think they know him. It's like I, I know him. Like they treat him like a celebrity. No, he's like he's obviously a brilliant mind, but. I mean, he was obviously going to be a product of his times. And even if there were an Einstein today, I would probably expect him to be racist too because, you know, that's how most yeah. people are. And this idea that people are so crushed. That that, the they should have known Einstein this a long time ago. People have known this about him for a long time. They just thought it was charming. They thought the fact that, you know, he was this awesome person, but he just happened to dislike Native Americans. It was, it was almost part of his charm. Right, it was almost right. cute. It was like yeah. cute almost. But I think also, I think what it was is that um, these letters came out that he had actually written. I don't know whether his views on Native Americans were ever sort of verifiable. It was sort of just hearsay. But with his views on Asians, it was in writing. So like you can't really argue yeah. that. Well, he he, didn't he was think able to uh, he was able to kill a shitload of Asians. So <laughs> he was he must he must have been happy about that. Some people just can't deal with historical realities. Like I um I saw this, true. this there's a TV show on Netflix called Anne with an E. It's, it's like a TV series made about Anne of Green Gables. 
So they mm. retconned Gilbert Blythe, who's like the main uh, male love interest in the in the original book, into this kind of like like woke bay, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like going around like punching other boys who tell Anne to stay in the kitchen and stuff like that. Like, oh. it's like he he's never like a bad. I don't think uh, he was a bad guy in the book, but I mean, come on, like in in the real Gilbert Blythe probably like beat his wives and and you know stuff like that. It just and it's just like it's. People have to deal with, like they they gotta just they gotta make everything like a fairy tale. They gotta go back, yeah. Pretend that like Abraham Lincoln loved gay people or something. <laughs> just, well, yeah, and that's the other thing was that like after the whole Einstein, you know, racist Einstein, is that people again were talking about how Abe Lincoln was racist. I'm like, yeah, well, the dude was racist. Like, Lived in not... the fucking middle of the 19th century. Yeah, it's like he didn't. He didn't free the slaves, or he didn't, you know, he didn't um, do all these things because he loved black people. Like he, he wanted to keep the. If he could have kept the country together and avoided the civil war, um, he would have, and he would have thrown black people under the bus. So, like, I, I you know, <laughs> it's just, yeah, you're right, uh, uh, Oxford, is that people just can't deal with the fact that uh, of history, um, and, and that their heroes uh, aren't paragons of virtue as well. And to bring it all back, I think that's what makes it so dangerous. I think that's what caused a lot of the, like naivete with regards to like like Trump and and his crowd. This ability, this thinking that oh, it's the year twenty insert whatever the the numbers like twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. Mm. Like we we don't have this problem anymore. It's like uh yeah, you do. It's like if you try to w- yeah. whitewash it out of history, then how are you gonna be able to detect it when it's like right in your fucking face? Yeah, I mean, sp- this all this Agreed. talk is is really interesting because. Um, I think the the land like America is it's it is super diverse, but it's like chunky, you know. Like it's diverse in some spots, it's not mm-hmm. diverse in others, and and just just like how people can't really let go of their conceptions of like historical figures, I think people just cannot let go of this conception of like you know just apple pie, apple pie baseball, uh, you know, Eagles, right? Like this Ugh. this two of those American mm-hmm. two of those three things suck. Apple pie is not good, and baseball is boring. I, I think it was Jennifer Eight Lee or one of them who <laughs> asked, was like, when was the last time you actually ate apple pie, and when was the last time you had takeout Chinese food? Right, which I thought was an interesting <laughs> question. And that's right. And that's right. Yeah. So I, but somehow that 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 image and that feeling just, even for me, it's still in there somewhere, you know. But even though the reality around right. you right. is has totally shifted. Your conception of what America is just doesn't seem. There's a lag. It takes some time. So hopefully we could we could change the imagery, and I, I guess that's what Hamilton tried to do, right? And these kind of things, and the next generation will kind of lessen, you know, hold, stop holding on to these like these, and whether they're true or not, they're at the time they're anachronisms now, and you know, I I, I just recently moved to. Queens and in particular this part of Queens that I think is it's the most diverse zip code in all of America. That doesn't mean just non-white. Oh wow. But it's it's the it's the most diverse in terms of like number of religions, languages spoken, nations represented or whatever. Yeah. It's the single most diverse zip code in the entire country. And when you're here it feels normal on the ground, but it is like part of an American reality that most people would probably they like they just wouldn't be able to process it. Queens, what's happening here, I think, is a lot closer to the histor- the real historical roots of white America, 
where which is places like the Lower East Side, which is coming through Ellis Island, mm. which was a complete mm-hmm. melt, like a true ultra diversity of people that you would never see in their homelands. You would never see this in you know in in Ireland it or was, Germany. It was or, like every country complete, from, yeah, like, in Europe, yeah, Jews, Catholics, Protestants, uh, everything mixed together into a tiny neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And out of that, you think that what pure white? There's such thing as pure white, right? <laughs> This, this, yeah. this is what's happened. I mean, this is kind of like that all over again, you know, and I think if you really want to talk about the origins of white America, it looks a lot more like this than whatever fucking thing is in Stephen Miller's mind. God, what a fucking uh, fuck Germany score. Oh, fuck shit. Out of that dude. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think this is a good place to wrap yeah. up, huh, guys? Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Good talking to you. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Escape from Plan A podcast. If you like us, you can go listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. If you like us, please subscribe and give us five stars. And hey, leave a comment too. We love reading those comments. And we've got articles up at www.planamag.com. Yeah, so thanks for listening and keep on world cupping. And we went through a reassimilation period or an assimilation period from about 1924 until the mid-60s because our leadership in Congress understood we needed to have a time to, to bond back together, become Americans together again because of the high immigration that we had in the previous, say, uh, 20 or 30 or 40 years. Right. And so we're at this place now in America where we're seeing people marching in the streets that are pushing back against the American culture and the American civilization. And it's troubling to me that over the last 25 years, we've essentially phased out the, the promotion of assimilation and we promoted instead multiculturalism and diversity as if it were our strength and in fact they're using it now to divide us and that's what Barack Obama did throughout his presidency.